Okay, today on InCheck with FinTech, we have John Eric Setsource. John Eric, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Lewis. Good to be here. John Eric is VP of Identity and Innovation at Signicat. John, I could give a introduction to yourself or your company, but I think uh, I and our listeners find it much more interesting when you do so yourself. So would you mind uh, taking it from the top, John Eric, and just uh, letting our listeners know who you are and a bit about your uh, your employer, Signicat? Absolutely. So I'm actually, I started out as a programmer. So I'm doing my fair share of programming over the years. I've been doing some email system and EDI back in the 80s and um, started with working with identities and security in the 90s. Uh, I worked a few years for SAP, working with uh, identity management. And the last six years now, I've been with, um, with uh, Signicat. And uh, these days, I don't do any programming, but I do a lot of talking and I promote stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm involved in a lot of interesting things that's going around uh, in the identity space. Uh, as for Signicat, we are a qualified trust service provider. We provide identity services mainly to financial uh, institutions uh, throughout Europe, but we have other customers as well. We are a company of a little bit over 250 employees uh, right now. Great introduction. Just jumping back to SAP, of course, it's, uh, I believe, Germany, Germany, maybe even Europe's largest technology company. People don't always think about SAP when they think about payments, authentication, fintech. But of course, it's been there in the background for decades developing these technologies. Tell us a little bit about how your time at SAP became relevant to your current work, working in identity and innovation at more of a, a cutting edge company doing uh, just uh, identity. So I was working with the identity management at the time. We were creating systems to ensure that people had the correct access rights in different systems, like a new employee coming in, you're getting a role, you live in a certain location, which gives you access rights into to all these kind of different systems. And I mean, SAP is one of these large companies, not that visible to the, to the public in general, but they do a really important uh, job in the background. I mean, uh, I remember the ad campaign saying, you know, uh, SAP customers uh, produce 70% of world's chocolate and uh, world's coffee and, and things like that. So, so I mean, it, it was quite an experience working for a very large company, uh, about 60,000 employees. Uh, then I started with the Signicat and we were only 40. Uh, and it was kind of back to, you know, I, I've started a, at a smaller company before, back to sort of the roots of being involved in a lot of things going on. Uh, you knew everybody by first name and we had high speed and was doing a lot of really exciting uh, stuff and still are, of course, within the identity space. It's wonderful to be employee number 40 or so and see it, what, quadruple in, in, in a few years. Very, very exciting stuff. Um, go into a bit of depth for us, John Eric, if you would. What, what exactly distinguishes Signicat in the digital identity space? Kind of paint, paint a picture of the company for us a bit, if you will. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll do that. So, um, I mean, uh, I like to think of it as two axes. So we, we cover what we call the entire identity lifecycle. And what does that mean? Well, when you get a new uh, customer, you need to onboard that customer. And, and these days you have to do it digitally. 
and of course, I mean, the, the, the pandemic we're in has been a driver for this. So you need to onboard the, the individual, you need to know who they are, you need to do some background checks, etc. You need to have a simple way for the same user being able to come back and log in. And finally, you need a way for the user to commit to something. You want to sign a contract or you want to agree to some terms and conditions and, and things like that. So this is what I call the, the life cycle, you know, going from the onboarding and through all these different things. And also we do this across different countries, which is complex in itself, because uh, I guess we'll, we'll talk about EIDs a little bit later, but different countries have different EIDs. They use different APIs and, and different technology and so on. We provide one API for our customers to more than 30 different EIDs uh, throughout Europe, making it simple to operate in multiple countries. And we do a similar thing also for, uh, for EID validators, as we call them. I mean, we interface with companies that are specialist companies in scanning identity papers, doing video interviews, all about identifying people. And finally, also connecting to a number of different uh, attribute providers. These are company registries, people registries, to check the background. And, and why is all this important? Well, most of our customers are financial and they have to follow the and be compliant to the anti-money laundering directive. And as part of that is knowing who the individuals are, you need to know their identity. And then also do background check. Is this a politically exposed person? Uh, do they live in a high-risk country and things like that to do the background check to to be really sure this is the individual you're dealing with and how you need to take special care. Okay, un understood. Um, you say most of your Signicats um, customers are financial services, um, so they would be the um, employees within that financial services company or the representatives of uh, persons uh, outside of that financial services company help, help us understand your, your business model a bit more clearly before we go into a more product detail so a typical customer would be a bank right and they would connect to our systems uh, using apis and they would be called when when a new customer uh, walk into the bank wouldn't be correct right but i i want to become a customer i go to the bank website the end user and at that point, the bank will use our technology to determine what's the identity of this individual that just showed up. Mm -hmm. So it's primarily our customers' customers that are using the products, although we are more or less invisible in that uh, space. We don't show up to uh, the end users. We don't have any relation with them. It's all through our customers, uh, the banks. Understood. So uh, the bank or other FS customer are utilizing or, or, or white labeling Signicat's solution to properly uh, identify uh, customers and potential customers. Um, so let's go into that a little bit. Um, how would a bank use Signicat to identify the customer? You mentioned um, someone might be politically exposed or from a, a volatile region what are some of the things the bank is using Cinecat to to criteria customers against? The things you mentioned are, uh, of course, very important. But before you can get to, to that step, you need to determine the identity of the individual. And typically that would be done using uh, scanning your identity paper, your passport or driver's license and, or things like that. 
So you will uh, hold it up to a camera, for example, you would take a, a self-portrait with some liveness detection to show it's really you sitting there. There will be some checks done on the identity document. So basically proving I'm the real John Eric, I'm holding my own passport. That, that's sort of that part of it. Or it could be in, in uh, and this depends on, I mean, different countries have different uh, regulations on this. It could be a video interview where I would be interviewed uh, maybe automatically or with a person going through a video interview with the same purpose, determining I'm the actual uh, John Eric. Um, in regions where we have uh, strong use of EIDs, that could be used as well. In Norway, if I wanted to become a customer, I would use my Norwegian bank ID to go to the bank. So all this is then about determining who is this individual. And then, as you correctly said, then we would do look up in different kind of registries to check some background, determine is it a politically exposed person and, and things like that. Understood. And am I, am I right in thinking the Nordics is especially advanced in this area, maybe even the most um, advanced kind of region of the world at the moment in, in utilizing EID on, on a national level? The Nordics have been using EID for some uh, some years. And, and yes, we have a coverage more than 90% uh, on average each uh, and every one of us use it between five and 10 times per week for all kinds of different purposes. So we are, and we're using it for all kinds of different purposes. Of course, in Norway it's called bank ID and obviously I use it when I log into my bank or if I want to open a new bank account, I use it for insurance. I would use it to do my taxes. Uh, if I was a student, I would use it when uh, when applying for uh, um, applying for college or university, and also when I accept that to do my student loan, and all these kind of things, all the way out to the sort of very far from the original idea. Uh, when you get a new baby in Norway, well, you need to give it a name, and to avoid uh, some disagreements on the name, both parents have to digitally sign on the name. Oh. And if you want to go to a tanning salon, you have to prove you're over 18. And guess what? You use bank ID to do that as well. That's, uh, that, that's the first I've heard that both parents use a digital ID to verify, uh, give mutual consent to the name of their child. That's, um, that's, that's very, yeah, very modern. It's interesting. I mean, in the paper-based world, I mean, uh, one parent could go to the, you know, the naming office or whatever with a piece of paper and they could, you know, change it on the way. Indeed. without the other person knowing but you know hey we're using electronic signatures to name babies yeah no i think it's smart <laughs> um, i i had a had a son about five months ago and here in the netherlands um it's up to the the man typically to go and register the child one or two days after the birth mm -hmm. while the mother is resting up and uh we didn't really agree on a name to be honest um we ended up calling him peter Good, good, solid, reliable, old-fashioned mm -hmm. name. But I had yeah. much, uh, much fancier ideas, and she entrusted me to walk to the <laughs> city hall and get it registered. And I could have called him whatever I liked. And okay, <laughs> so no, uh, you, you were nice, right? So you, yeah. you stuck to the agreement. We stuck, yeah, well, well, that's good. <laughs> we stuck to the agreement. We stuck to the agreement. Okay, no, that's that's good. So. No, but as you said, we're, we're an advanced region and, and we're using it a lot. And uh, so, so it's uh, interesting to see how far it's, uh, it's come. Berlin, we're here and ready for your hiring needs. 
After some short time considering it, we've decided to set up business in Germany, meaning we can be closer to clients and allow room for new business. We're set up and ready to help find your ideal candidates, help build teams, and offer up media services. People create networks. What are some of the challenges with this? Because it, it sounds wonderful. You've given some, some very nice, uh, you know, quite personable examples there. Are there areas where this can go horribly wrong, where you can have a political pushback, where, where this might not be such a rosy picture? So a, cu a couple of challenges. I mean, one is, uh, uh, which has been recognized now and may lead to some changes in regulation is, one is establishing the link between the EID and the person. And that's done in a strong way. So you can be pretty sure that, you know, the EID belongs to a given person. But then the question has arisen, who is using it right now? I mean, to, to use the EID, it's not that complex process, of course. Uh, I mean, I'm using Bank ID Mobile. Uh, I need to know my phone number and my uh, date of birth, which both are pretty public information. I need access to my phone and then uh, pin code whenever I use it. And of course, people living in the same household may share their pin codes passwords, although the, the terms and agreements for, for bank ID at least says you're not allowed to do that. You will share it either by accident or, or on, on purpose. So we have seen some examples with what I would call friendly fraud. I mean, some people within the household, parents, children, or taking care of elderly parents are using uh, another person's EID. And the challenge, of course, people don't really realize what they're doing when they give this away. Because you think, okay, you know, just go to the bank and pay this bill for me and, you know, use my credentials. But basically what they're saying, you go into the bank and you masquerade as me, meaning you can do anything there that I would be allowed to do. So that, that would be one of the, the challenges. Um, another challenge, I think, is when we go into the area of bank audit being uh, private uh, organizations is that they may not be all inclusive. They may, you know, determine that some people may not get the bank ID. So from that perspective, I think government maybe should have uh, some more saying in, in who could have uh, the EID. So friendly fraud, whereby somebody uses their partner's banking logging, for examples, problematic, but relatively limited in, in negative consequences. Are there instances of much wider scale fraud, more organized, large you know, criminal fraud um, that you're noticing or that you're tackling with, with Signicat? So we're seeing another fraud that's uh, also uh, being used a lot. It's what we call the Olga fraud. So uh, it's targeted mainly towards older people. And you call, you pretend you're from the, from the bank and you manage to have them use their bank ID to identify and giving you access instead. Uh, and that's also a concern. So in, in general, I'm, it looks like there will be a change in the regulation where when you do high risk transactions, using bank ID by itself may, will probably not be enough because uh, you would need some more proof that it's actually generic using generic bank ID right now and not somebody else. Great. It'd be good to completely squash out that particular fraud, which is, of course, utterly uh, uh, reprehensible. Um, can some of these solutions extend to voting in elections? 
course, there's been a whole hoopla about voter fraud the last few years. It's becoming <laughs> noisier and noisier. Um, mm. Can we use EID at the voting booth? Is that going to become a bit more mainstream? I, I think we'll see that in some cases. I think from my personal perspective, one of the, the, the challenges with that is uh, the voting regulation in, in most countries say that the vote should be given uh, voluntarily on free will and it should be secret. And in the physical world, you guarantee that by sending one person at a time into this little booth where you draw the curtain and nobody will know what you're doing in there. How do you do that in a setting where you're sitting at home? That, that's one of the challenges with voting. Yeah, indeed. I've got another funny personal story for you. I live in the Netherlands, but I'm originally from England. Um, so I can still vote in England. I had my mother be my proxy voter for me. So she would physically walk to a polling station. And of course, I gave her my preference but she's from a very tribal part of England that has voted one way for a hundred years. And she was uh, very disappointed when I you know, <laughs> decided that I'm going to try voting a different way for once this century. And mm -hmm. uh, she was very naughty, John Eric, and please don't tell anyone, but she, she handed my vote in for her own party, not realizing that that's quite illegal, you know, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll let her off because, uh, <laughs> She's my mother, <laughs> if, if nothing else. Yeah. No, I mean, voting is very important and it's also challenging and, and you definitely want to be all inclusive and you want to make sure you can't buy votes. You want to make sure people are not, you know, forced in voting one way or another. So there are some challenges around that, that, you know, it means you, you need to have a system where I as a person can give as many votes as I like and only the last one counts which means if somebody forces me today, I can go back tomorrow and make him uh, change that vote. Mm, interesting, interesting. Um, what does the, we've spoken about some of the areas that Signicat is, is focusing on, finding new ways to perform digital identity, to offer EID solutions. This is a competitive terrain, lots of great companies popping up to solve these problems. Signicat is, I believe, one of the best and biggest, certainly in, um, in, in Northern Europe, if, if not globally. Talk us through what the next couple of years looks like. We've looked at some contemporary issues and how Signicat is solving for them. What are some of the issues that are going to come down the track uh, towards us as a society in the next two, three years, say, and how can digital identity solutions such as Signicats help us solve them? Well, of course, we're, we're going to see more and more use of EID. I mean, the importance of knowing who you are online is one of the core challenges. I mean, we've been struggling this for years now and having a good way of identifying yourself. Um, there's a lot of trolling going on online and in the comment fields, we've all seen that. How do we introduce accountability into this? How can we make solutions that you know can hold people accountable? Uh, just this uh, morning, I was watching one of the deep, deep fake videos uh, uh, with Tom Cruise, which was very well done. Uh, and, and how do you handle that problem? How do you distinguish a real uh, uh, video from a fake one? When, when you can't visually tell them apart, you think it's really Tom Cruise or you think it's you know some political person saying this. I mentioned we work also like uh, in, in the space of electronic signatures, electronic seals and timestamping. 
And I, I think this will extend from documents, but also to things like that. I mean, we use it today. I mean, you, you sign your mortgage, you sign some uh, terms and conditions. We can put a timestamp on a will, uh, things like that. But I think we'll see it extending also to uh, to other types of information. And it would be interesting to see this uh, applied also to uh, things like videos to see do they really come from the right source of course assuming that the identity proofing the identification of the person is done correctly so i think that's one interesting one um another thing we see uh, coming which is also very interesting uh, i would probably not say the next couple of years but uh, at least we see it's coming is why do you need to know everything about me we're, we're so used in the physical world like right? uh, i prove i'm over 18 uh, I show my identity paper, which shows my name and my date of birth and my national identifier, uh, identifier, etc. Why is that necessary? The only thing you ask for to sell me alcohol is I need proof that I'm over 18. And we will see solutions where that is possible, where you can prove only the selected parts of, of your identity. So, uh, like I said, in the age scenario, only prove that you're over 18 or prove that you are a citizen of Norway or very relevant example that we also have discussed the last couple of days, prove that you're vaccinated for COVID without really revealing anything else. And these are solutions that we are looking into that we see are coming uh, in, in the years. I, I love that, 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 especially that second one whereby you only have to give up the relevant piece of information rather than a whole bundle of information um, because it's a, it's a double-edged sword this um, digital identity um, as these technologies become better and better it, it feels as if as if there's less opportunity to be private to mm. withhold any information um, so it's great to hear and this is the first time i've heard it that companies such as yours are developing ways to specify um, and retain uh, information and only give up pertinent information rather than just handing everything over every time there's an ID check required. Um, exactly. And uh, and also, I mean, the, the EIDs have very limited information. What if you want to prove uh, who you work for or you want a mortgage and you want to prove that you make more than, uh, you know, uh, X thousand euros a year? You don't want to give out your actual income, but you want to prove that you make more than a certain amount or that you are a doctor or that you have um, uh, uh, some sort of uh, medical diagnosis that gives you uh, uh, benefits for parking, for example, uh, or, you know, reduced price at a train. A lot of very good examples of where you want to prove something about yourself, but there's no need to give out who you really are. Yeah, you're really kind of broadening my mental horizon here, John, I've, see, I've not been thinking of how applicable, how universally useful EID can be, um, but it can do all of these things. I'm still still thinking, logging into bank accounts. Okay, we do that a couple of times a day, but that's, you know, that's five years ago. Um, there are so many areas that we can be uh, developing these wonderful solutions for. Just jumping back to the, uh, the deep fake crisis, um, there's a lot of hysteria about this. I think Obama might have had the first kind of deep fake video 
where the news channels were unsure if it was really him or not. And that was already maybe four years ago. And it's only getting better and better. Um, so you mentioned a kind of an e-signature for the source of the, the footage um, as a way to solve for, for that. That, that. That sounds very interesting. I mean, it, it would use exactly the same technology as you sign a, a document for a mortgage, right? You, ha you have this piece of, uh, I was going to say piece of paper, of course you don't, you have a PDF with the, with the contract and the mortgage. You read through it and you sign it. And, and what does signature do? Well, it puts your identity on it saying you actually did it, but it also puts on, uh, uh, um, by cryptographic means, a way that any changes to the document after you sign it will be detected. So now I can say, no, this is not the real document you signed with because this has been changed afterwards. And with that background, I was thinking, you know, can't we use a similar sort of technology also on these deep fakes so you know what's the source of it? So is this, was Obama, he would have an EID that was verified and you would see, well, this video is actually signed by him and then you know it's actually him. And if it wasn't, then you would say it, it's, it's not valid. I mean, it's similar also with web pages today, right? Today, you expect always to use HTTPS, the secure version, because the browsers, they require that. If you go to HTTP, most browsers are going to scream and shout, and this is unsecure, and you don't want to go that way. I, my hope would be that, you know, any video player would do the same thing in a few years, saying, well, you know what, the signature on this video, you, you can't, can't trust it, it's been changed. Yep. The idea of using cryptography to, um, let's say, sync a permanent record of the, the source or the identity of the person. Would, could you use blockchain to achieve that? Are you already thinking of using blockchain as a, as a way to perform that, uh, that requirement? Blockchain is an interesting technology and has some uses, and I think it will play some part in, in a future uh, identity scheme, but not necessarily. Um, with the properties uh, it has by being, um, I mean, anything you write to a blockchain uh, cannot be changed. It, it's there. Uh, and that's interesting. And um, it also uses the similar cryptographic means that you use for electronic signatures and seals. So it's sort of the same crypto mechanisms. The database that the blockchain provides is interesting for the, for the purpose of not being able to uh, delete data which is very interesting from an audit perspective, where you want to keep a you know, permanent record of what has happened. From that perspective, it's, it's a really interesting technology. And I think for also for identity, it has some, uh, some areas of applicability. Okay, wonderful. How do you see the macroeconomics of your market? Are the big players, the Googles and the Apples of this world, are they buying up smaller authentication companies looking to streamline them with other product sets? Do you see a future like that for Signicat becoming part of a, a big global um, tech monopoly like an SAP? Um, are the big players paying attention to this, uh, this corner of the market? So, I mean, the identity is, is the core of business for some of the big techs. I mean, the, their business model is based on identity data. They are based on my uh, all the data I'm providing. And you can see more and more places now you can log in with Facebook or you can log in with Google. And 
of course, people do that for, oh, that's easy. I just click on, you know, the Facebook button and I'm a customer and all the data is provided. And of course, it's very convenient. I mean, personally, I never do that. Um, that sort of gives away even more data. I give away enough data to these big techs already. So I, I never use those mechanisms. But I mean, they are EIDs as well, but they are EIDs with low level of assurance because if you find a Facebook profile, you don't really know who owns it. There's no connection, like if you compare it to a bank ID, where the identity has been validated. There is no search validation for a, for a Facebook. Um, so the big techs, they are definitely in this. I mean, we see uh, Apple, which is, uh, by the way, best in class regarding privacy, because their business model is not based on selling identity data. It's based on selling uh, devices. They are also come up with their Apple ID. So all these big techs are also fighting for this, but still they're still in the uh, in the low uh, level of assurance space of uh, identities. You know, I'm sorry to jump around a little bit, but I'm going to refer you <laughs> sure, to <go> ahead. <laughs> refer you to a, a report. I'm not sure if you authored it or con contributed to it. Battle to onboard. Mm -hmm. um, regarding um, how I think billions of euros were lost by financial institutions who failed to onboard new customers. Um, at the onboarding stage, um, people were abandoning the application process um, for reasons relating to EID. Talk, talk us through that, that piece of research, because I imagine FS companies are spending goodness knows how much on, on customer acquisition um, and losing, I think you've reported several billion euros here, because they don't have good tech at this onboarding stage, which is something Signicats can solve for. So tell us a bit about that uh, that report. Yeah, I've, I've lost count of the number, but it's, it's a really high number of, uh, or large number of money they have um, they've lost on that. And as you say, it's it's really costly. I mean, you, you spend all this marketing money, you want to attract people to, to your website, you want to, to convert them into real customers. Uh, and that's when you lose more than 60% of them in the actual onboarding process. And, and what we did in the battle to onboard is a research that we did and we've done it, uh, it's the fourth time we did it this year. So we have some uh, some interesting numbers and a report is available on our website, by the way. So you can, can go there and, and have a look if you want to. It showed that 63% of people uh, abandoned the onboarding. That means these are people you have Managed to get to your website, you managed to get them so interested. Oh, yeah, I want to become a customer. They started signing up and then, nah, this is, you know, too complex or too much private information or it takes too long or, you know, several reasons that you can read about in the report. And then they disappear. That means out of 10 people you attract, six of them disappear because of a lousy onboarding process. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing in order to receive every episode as it's published. The fintech space is ever-changing, and we care about keeping you up to date with the latest happenings in this exciting space. If you wish to appear on the next episode of In Check with Fintech, please email podcast at teampcn.com. That's podcast at teampcn.com. Okay, generic slight uh, interruption there. Apologies uh, for that uh, bit of interference. You're telling us about the piece of research battle to onboard 4,000 end users 
surveyed about, I think it's around 5 billion euros that have been lost by financial institutions, uh, losing customers at the application stage. Um, I think I can refer our listeners to that piece of research on your website. Um, but what are some of the lessons we can draw from it? What are some of the things that FS can be doing differently to not lose quite so many customers? You need to look at how much information do you really need and at what time? I mean, we, we see some are collecting too much information. It's, it's very typical that uh, pre GDPR days, you wanted to collect as much as possible because you wanted to use this for marketing purposes. Of course, the data that used to be an, an asset you could use now is a liability uh, because of GDPR. So you should really look at, you know, what information do you collect and at what time do you need to collect everything up front? Of course, you need to make sure you're compliant with anti-money laundering directive. You also need to have a good user experience. So, so the user... Uh, goes through a smooth process for doing this, as well as understanding why. Uh, I think one challenge for, for banks, especially here, which, is, uh, which has to follow the, the AML, is explaining to users, hey, we are collecting all this data. We are under this uh, anti-money laundering directive. And guess what this is about? We want to try to fight terrorism. We want to start, uh, fight slavery and, and trafficking. That's why we do this. And I think that would help people to understand, oh, yeah, okay, sure. Uh, I'll be part of that. I understand why you need to collect this information. And it need, needs to be faster. We saw a lot of processes took way too long. And I mean, if you look at one of the, the, the new coming banks that, that don't have all this legacy, you will see they have a much smoother process in, uh, in the onboarding. Indeed, I, I had to open a uh, digital bank for a small company recently. And there's a good opportunity to kind of take a quick tour of these, these so-called neo banks. I think I tried out Payoneer, Canab, N26, Revolut. I just wanted to see what each of the mm. onboarding uh, services are like. And then I compared that to an old Dutch bank, one of the standard banks, I, I won't name it, but mm. that process took four months mm to open a business account compared to like under one week for the rest of them. Some of them done it same day, not not full services, but same day you had some functionality. The bank right. was ready. And I think that's important as well. As you said, then you have some services. I mean, traditional banking tends to, I mean, either you're a customer or you're not, there's nothing in between, but you may not need everything to do everything. To be compliant, you can give, okay, now you have access, you have account, maybe there's a cap on how much you can do or something and have some limitations, but still you're, uh, you're able to log in, you're able to look around and, and, and see what it looks like. So, you know, I did the same thing. I've, I've tried uh, several of, uh, of the, the banks, you know, to see how, how is the user uh, experience and, and some of them are actually very good. Yeah, they've really gamified it, some of them as well. Um, there's one here in the Netherlands called Bunk, B-U-N. Yep. You, yes. it's like a, it's like playing a video game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It may, maybe they've gone too far, but it, it's maybe directed at uh, younger people, perhaps. But it, it's fantastic. It's it's very innovative. Um, so yeah, I really... absolutely. And I, think... and I mean, when you say younger demographics, I mean that's also the one thing we saw in the report: the difference between you know Generation Z and and the uh, older people like me. You know, the difference in 
uh, how tolerant they are to the user experience mm. and also what they think uh, is important while well, you know all the people wanted you know uh, focus on security because I mean we have <laughs> been to those uh, problems uh, and also uh, being able to talk to or chat to somebody while for the youngsters it was more about you know smooth user experience and and uh, being fast yeah absolutely and the kind of positive messaging around we're asking these questions so we can fight human trafficking fight terrorism etc these are not things people realize they just feel aggravated at having to hand over so much information it's very tedious um, but if you realize look this is so people don't set up fraudulent accounts and people don't suffer as a result you don't mind taking an extra you know five minutes to jump that hurdle um, so it can be a simple change, like a, a change of messaging during the onboarding uh, procedure. No, I, uh, I think so. I think people would be more acceptable if they realized that that was the picture. But for most people, I mean, obviously anti-money laundering, that's, you know, so foreign, so far from them, nothing to do with me at all. And, you know, just on that topic, there was an article in the news here in, in Norway that, uh, yesterday about mule accounts, where they launder money by targeting typical students and saying, you know what, I'm going to transfer, you know, 10,000 uh, kroner or, you know, 1,000 euros to your account. If you can, you know, cash out 8,000 of those, uh, you can keep the rest. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, as a way to loan the money. Yeah, yeah. The, that exact thing happened to a friend in the UK. Um, mm -hmm. a, a random 500 pound appear in his account. Um, and he tried to move it from one account to another account without really thinking into, you know, hey, why has this money uh, miraculously appeared in my account? Of course, his bank, um, the fraud department was tracking that money, knew it come from an illegitimate source, saw that he had moved it, assumed mm -hmm. that he was in on the trade, he was in on the activity, otherwise, why would he swap this money between accounts so quickly? Exactly. Which, which was just foolish on, on his part. He's, he, he didn't realize, you know, don't touch this money. If I even move it, then I'm implicated. He didn't realize that. Right. Um, and then as a result of that, it, he was frozen out of all his accounts for two weeks. His direct wow. debits couldn't go out. It's a huge inconvenience. But at the same time, the bank has to tackle the uh, tackle the evil, even if you're you know, inconvenienced. But um of course, and and again, the challenge is most people are not aware of this, and I think that's where we, I think we've all, I mean, done a bad job on on education, explaining, you know, hey, this is much closer to you than you really really understand. Yeah, hey, generic, we've had a, a, a well-rounded conversation. We've learned about yourself, about Signicat, some of its products, some of its real-world applications, a bit about the. Uh, the market more generally that you're operating in. Would you like to leave our, our listeners with a particular note? Anything you'd like to uh, mention in addition? I think going forward, it's going to be more and more important by having a digital identity. Uh, we need to take good care of them. Don't share them with others. So that would be my advice to everybody. I mean, don't share your credentials. You're not giving somebody access to something. You're letting them impersonate you which is very different from giving access to, to something. So, I mean, that would be my advice to everybody. I mean, take good care of your pass, passwords, don't share. Yeah, that's a, a very strong, very clear note. I think when we were, when I was a kid, I'm kind of in my mid thirties now, but when you were 18, 19, 
kids used to share identity cards so they could get into get into the pub, you know, and mm-hmm. buy, buy themselves a beer, which seems kind of innocent and old old fashioned now. But a, a digital ID is a much more precious thing than a simple plastic ID card. You can do so much more with it. You can open bank accounts immediately, etc. So. Don't give away your digital ID, folks. It's a it's, it's a foolish move. Um, treat it like something precious. So, um, okay, John Eric, where do people go to find out more about um, yourself and Signicat? Go to go to the web. Search for Signicat. Uh, we're on LinkedIn. We're on social media. We have a website. Uh, download the Battle Dome board. It's interesting reading. Uh, we have a lot of webinars available. If you want to learn more about what we're doing, you can uh, can look at them. And we'll be hosting more webinars in the future. So, yeah, look us up. Brilliant. Thank. Okay, Mr. John Eric Sedsas. Thank you uh, very much for your time. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Great being on your show, Luis. Okay. Bye bye for now. All right. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening. And we'd like to leave you with a more serious message from partner Free Your Girl, who are dedicated to fighting child prostitution and impunity all over the world. Hi, I'm Eveline, CEO and founder of Free Your Girl. Every day, two million children, especially girls, are being held captive worldwide. They are locked up and exploited in brothels, dance bars, or online forced into sexual exploitation. Their freedom is taken away together with their youth, family and future. We are dedicated to fight sexual exploitation of children by rescuing these girls. Please join us, unlock their freedom and unlock your potential by becoming a business partner. Please visit freeagirl.com for more information. Thank you.